Welcome to the New Books Network. What is the future of time and space in democracy? Uh, To take time, for example, it's now widely accepted that Chinese politicians who don't have to worry about elections are better placed to make long-term plans than their Western counterparts. And there also is a lot of discussion now of borders and space in politics. And this has all been thought about by Professor Jan Zhilonka of the University of Oxford, who's been uh, looking into this and related matters. So welcome to you. Great to be here. And just to to get underway, I mean, it is the beginning point of your book and, and others that we've had on this series, that there is a crisis in contemporary democracy. And, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of explanations of that crisis uh, over the last few months. I wonder if, if, why don't you just start with your explanation as to what's going on? And then I can perhaps offer some of the other ideas that people have put out there. What, what do you think is going on? Well, first of all, it's it's good that we agree that something is going wrong, so, uh, because some colleagues argue basically that we always have problems and democracy is in a permanent crisis. But I think um, uh, most of us now recognize that this is special, and we try to find answers. You know, we blame populism, capitalism, uh, globalization, post-truth. We blame Russians, Chinese, uh, and I. Actually, in my previous book, look at those factors very, very carefully. I examine their uh, crisis of, of, of liberal idea uh, 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 and try to understand what are the implications of this. Uh, uh, but in this book, maybe prompted by COVID and later by, by the Russian invasion on Ukraine, I realize that we may miss the point that maybe problems are more fundamental uh, and uh, and simply that democracy as we designed uh, uh, a few centuries ago is not up up to the job of this uh, digital era that that politics time and space are simply out of sync and if this is a problem uh, we have to to look for different solutions. We'll talk about time and space, and you, you've you've written interestingly about both of them. But just first of all, I mean, uh, it's another theme of your book that you know, living standards are part of this, and quite often the explanation for the crisis is inequality, either caused by neoliberalism or you know the the, the, the stickiness of inherited wealth and various you know or, or, or the power of monopolistic companies. Yeah, you know, there are lots of reasons why inequality may be. Uh, embedded and getting worse, uh, uh, and the, there are these flattening living standards. But you, in your answer, you just gave me are talking more about technology and the changing nature of our society. Yes, but of course, um, uh, inequality generates competing, competing egoism, and and it's difficult to arrive at, uh, at a commonly shared definition of 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 our basic rights of our basic goals if if these inequalities are within and across borders and across time. Let's not forget that, that the debts we um, acquired and, and they are rising all the time in, in uh, Western democracies are going to uh, have implications for the future generations. So, so these inequalities are not only in terms of space, they're also in terms of time. And, and, and we have to ask ourselves, why is it so? 
I, I don't know a government uh, which would endorse inequalities. Uh, and yet they were growing uh, to the extent we know uh, which is unsustainable. Yeah, well, it's interesting because because most people talk about inequality in very much in terms of uh, economics, and you've got these different perspectives on it. So let's deal with time first of all. And I mean, I guess the first point is you're saying it is artificially created and unequally distributed. We somehow assume that time is given; that, 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 that there is nothing to do about this. It it orders our life and. Uh, and and uh, we should adjust to certain schedules uh, uh, which are objective in fact uh, time is uh, made by humans and particularly those who are in power and not by accident they always try politicians always try to 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 engineer uh, uh, time and in fact not only politicians if you, you know the 10 commandments uh, is a beautiful um, story of, of chronopolitics. Uh, you you work six days on the second or uh, seven day you rest. It already orders our life. Yeah, but you, you you told me I can interrupt, so I'm going to interrupt and just say before you go on to explain your thinking about this that there is a quality of time that you know time and tide wait for no man. It is universally experienced and it passes and we die. So there is a sort of element of time that is universal, isn't there? Of course, but it is not universal uh, depending, uh, for everybody. It's very much on the time zone you leave and the calendar you basically follow. Uh, and, uh, and not by accident, all great leaders in the past, they adopted their own calendar. So, so, so we have to be um, aware of this, that this is not something which uh, is created by gods or nature. It is something which human created in order, uh, in order to, to sort of segment us, into, to fit us into certain schemes, because the, the time is not only the hour uh, uh, on the clock, the time is... Uh, is, is, is about our work, our, uh, uh, where we start, where we finish, how much uh, uh, holidays we can enjoy, um, uh, when we can start to vote, when we can retire, and many other things which are basically related to our daily life. And is it your argument that time is increasingly unequally distributed? Well, inequality uh, uh, spans through various fields, and it, it relates to time too. You know, in the in in the kind of uh, turbo capitalists of today, which impose on us a, a ceaseless twenty four seven economy, uh, we basically have very little say how to shape our life. You know, it's we are expected to to sleep in our office, so to speak, because we all have our mobile phones next to the desk and, 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 uh, and we don't, and our bosses expect uh, us to answer uh, uh, WhatsApp at any time. <laughs> in fact, governments also run uh, their business on WhatsApp uh, uh, and for some time already we, with very little transparency, as we learned, for instance, uh, uh, that the European Parliament 
requests from from president of European Commission to give them a record of of her negotiations with a, a big pharmaceutical uh, in, industry concerning vaccines, and she said. Well, I don't have a record. I conducted those negotiations on WhatsApp, and they are raised. Mm, yes, well, that's happening in the UK. <laughs> that's happening in the UK too. I think that those politicians that weren't raising them are now, uh, after some leaks here. Tell us, tell us though. <clears throat> excuse me. Tell us though. Do you? Th- what about this idea that it's accelerating the nature of time? That time is becoming ever shorter. You do think that, don't you? I do, and 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 this is basically the function of technology, uh, not just the digital. You know, when we introduce uh, 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 trains, we, we we were able to commute much quicker. In a way, uh, railway system was a, a, an equivalent of public clock in some countries, like in Germany or Switzerland, and um, and. And with the digital uh, technology, you know, transactions which we used to to conduct uh, uh, over over months can be done over seconds, and 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 this of course changes a lot. And and even our daily communication uh, within friends or family circles is now instantaneous. So, so, so in a way, we we constantly uh, have to be available for for various signals um, given by the authorities or, 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 or private actors, and and we are actually adjusting to this without much reflection. Yes, but I mean, if you take a developing country like you know, I'm very familiar with Pakistan, go to a rural area uh, where the people may will, will be you know poor. Uh, but they'll have lots of time. So, in a sense, time is is shorter for the richer, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's not like the rich are getting more time; they're getting less time. It's not whether we are getting or or, or 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 not. It's it's whether we can shape it, whether we can decide uh, to take off, or we have to be simply on the permanent uh, alert. And and this is the whole point. And and when we talk about poorer or richer. I would rather not look at states. I would look at communities or, or, or persons because different communities have different uh, ability to shape their life. Look, those those uh, uh, those uh, people living in rural area, uh, not just in Pakistan, of course, also in developed country, in in our countries, in Britain, in Italy, life goes uh, less. Uh, uh, quickly than in, in, in hectic cities. Uh, but there is a price to pay for this. There's a trade-off. And the question is, are those choices being made uh, uh, consciously by us or they are imposed on us with no choice? Because, you see, time go, uh, when times go slowly, there is a benefit because you can reflect, uh, you can maybe rest better. But, but at the same time, you are losing out to those who live on a higher uh, pace, because you you you, you and, and and you are unable later to catch up. We we not always make those choices. We usually are just finding ourselves in the situations where, when when our time is being organized by by various actors 
either firms or governments with little say about this, with little reflections. And I believe that in democracy, we ought to deliberate those things and have some say and choices. And we have less and less choices on this because we think time is something given. We, we, this is not a political matter. This is uh, something what exists like uh, like the air around, you know, and, and, and it is predictable like the sun coming up and down. Let me just um, touch on another aspect of this, which is quite often a point made in relation to the crisis in democracy, uh, which is this, you know, this obvious point that China, its leadership can think long term, Western democracies because of electoral cycles, maybe because the nature of capitalism can't think so long term. How, how big a factor is that in what's going on? Well, uh, it is a factor, but, 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 but um, good policies uh, are not only a function of, of time. They are also a function of legitimacy. And therefore, I believe that the whole um, issue of time should be put in the context of democratic politics, because um, you know I, I grown up uh, uh, on the other side of the Irod Carton, where governments had uh, long-term planning, uh, uh, and um, you know the history was moving from one party congress to another, which adopted uh, five years uh, economic planning. And, and it never uh, produced uh, um, the goodies they, they expected. Because, uh, uh, you see, if you just um, uh, think in the long term, but don't know how to arrive, uh, what is the objective and how to arrive there, and even if you think you know how to arrive there, but you don't get support of your people, uh, it doesn't help you very much. So uh, it is not only the questions of long-term uh, thinking, it's also the questions, are we thinking in long terms collectively? Yes, collectively and productively, I do take the point. So the Soviets had plenty of time, but uh, didn't, didn't make much difference. What, what about uh, the second part of your book, in which you look not just at time, you deal with time, and then with space, which brings up all sorts of issues. What, what, what you know? You, you talk about nomads and settlers. What, what is your basic argument on space? My basic argument is that whole history of politics is, to a large extent, about space. Uh, this is partly because we, as individuals, uh, exactly have different attitude to space. Uh, rangers and 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 uh, uh, farmers. Uh, acted always uh, differently than hunters. For, for, for farmers, uh, setting a, a, a gate, a wall, and, 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 and working within certain space, which is protected, uh, was always more important than for hunters who were just crossing those borders. And it moved uh, to, to much, uh, much further uh, with the creations of nation-states, which, in a way, dependent on, on, on this bordering. And not only bordering in, in physical terms. You know, the states prevailed um, uh, over other units in the Middle Ages, like uh, cities, 
uh, kingdoms, uh, 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 papacy, empire, uh, uh, exactly because they were able to provide government with the overlap of economic borders, uh, administrative, uh, uh, military, and cultural. This was all within one border. And this is why states became the only game in town some sometime in 18, 19th century. But we have seen in, in recent decades constant erosions of those borders. And none of those states is any longer able to provide this overlap between cultural, economic, administrative and military borders. Even in the military sense, you know, with weapons in space, you know, none of the countries, even the strongest one, can just defend on the border. Yeah, we, this raises lots of questions. Let's just deal with some obvious ones first of all. Um, borders in in space, in outer space, uh, are they coming? Uh, well, let's just stick to that just now. What, what do you make of space travel and how nation states will cope with space in space? Well, we have uh, in increased weaponizations of space, for instance, not just travel, with no clear rules. And, and, and one day, uh, this space, uh, which you may think is now vast, will be overcrowded. And we will have to, to do something about this. And, uh, uh, but we don't know how to, so to speak, approach the problem. Uh, we are now basically uh, preoccupied with the old type of territorial conflict in Ukraine. It's a very old type conflict, right? Uh, but, uh, but, but the two powers which are here very much involved, uh, America and Russia, are nuclear powers. Britain is also nuclear power. Uh, and... Um, and therefore, this ter traditional territorial conflict is conducted in a very peculiar way in which we send arms to Ukraine, but, but we want to make sure that they do not attack mainland Russia. Uh, so, so they have to f fight the traditional war like, like, like those gladiators with, with one hand, you know. <laughs> uh, so... So this shows you that even the traditional, very traditional war on territory is being conducted differently because of these other considerations that, that the actors involved are not just involved to the to, to principle of sovereignty of independent state Ukraine, but they have other uh, connectivity kind of uh, problems out in space. Well, I mean, let me ask you, do you think the kind of conflict we're seeing in Ukraine, you know, an old fashioned conflict could happen, let's say, on the moon? I mean, there was a there was a hope, wasn't there? The International Space Station, Russian American Corporation, that this would be a field of human activity in which people would join forces and countries would uh, look at it as a, a common challenge, a common new frontier to be conquered. Uh, but increasingly, it, that seems to be diminishing as, as the way people conceive of the space race. I mean, are you predicting conflict in space? Well, if we uh, do not find ways to uh, uh, 
to regulate our uh, mutual relationship, of course. But but we you don't have to go so far in the future. All cyber attacks, you know, which are being conducted on a regular basis, orchestrated by states, but also by by, by private actors, uh, we don't know how to deal with them. Do they really amount to the declarations of war? Uh, do we really know uh, how to respond to them? Not just uh, uh, technically, but politically. Uh, we make declarations, this is unacceptable, but, but, but our hospitals, uh, rail system, air system can be frozen by those attacks instantly. And the cost of, of those cyber attacks are enormous. And we spend more and more money on, on tec- technical abilities to defend ourselves, ourselves against those attacks. But political discussion and, 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 and the legal arrangements, how to deal with those things, are, are still uh, basically underdeveloped. Okay, so but I'm wondering... What, excuse me. <clears throat> I'm wondering where you see this heading. I mean, one way out of this, I guess, is is something like the European Union, shared sovereignty and cooperation across borders. Uh, another is uh, to retreat behind smaller borders, you know, Scotland or Wales, independence movements. Uh, how do you see this developing? Is globalisation going to prevail? I, I don't think we can s- stop the clock here, so to speak, that that we can roll back globalizations, we can restrict it here and there, we can, we can produce a, a, a mask against COVID, you know, in our own countries without relying on Chinese. But I, I don't think we are able to curb all this uh, uh, economic connectivity which has progressed over centuries. And in, in stop and starts, but, but all is progressed. So in a way, we have to find this. And these empowered a lot of actors, much more than states. And the, and the digital revolution, as, as scholars like Castells showed already 30 years ago, empowered informal uh, non-hierarchical, non-institutional networks. They take advantage of this technological development. They know how to behave in this environment better than this hierarchical, territorial, bureaucratic states. And, and the networks, like stakes, you know, some are... Uh, 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 producing public goods, the others are free riding, and yet others are basically criminal. Uh, but we have to find the way to utilize them to cope with those issues like globalization, to better go about those global flows of money, goods, and labor, so they the globalization works better for ordinary citizens and not only for the few. This is the principle of of democracy I have in mind. And how to do this, we can debate. But I believe we have to simply 
change the way of thinking about managing common goods. But it will not happen by traditional ways of, you know, moving democracy to European or global level. And the concept of cosmopolitan democracy never works. So we have to find other ways. And as a matter of fact, I also don't know whether traditional regulation is the best way to deal with networks. Financial networks were, were pretty good to, to, to work in the shadow of formal regulations. And you know what the result sometimes uh, was, like the last financial crisis. So, so we have to find new ways of doing those things. But in reality, we don't even talk about this seriously because we still believe that the state should basically get back control over this uh, unbounded environment. But the ability to do this is very limited. Uh, and I can give you numerous examples. Uh, before you do that, just, just could you just um, say to me why cosmopolitan democracy can't work? I think you just said that. It, it, look, uh, cosmopolitan democracy assumed that we uh, sort of transfer the way in which we were having democracy in nation states to the global level. Uh, uh, that we will have global constitutions, uh, 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 that global uh, organization like United Nations basically taking decisions on behalf of, of global uh, population. Th this kind of reasoning didn't work even in a regional con concept, con context like European Union. But it is working in the European Well, uh, not really, I would say, uh, because uh, you, you observe that, that the powers, and contrary to, to, to what a lot of Brits still believe, the powers are very much in the hands of member states. The, we, the time of, of strong European commissions of Jacques Delors is passé. It's no longer there. European Parliament acquired a, a, a more and more powers with old treaties, but they are unable to punch their weight. And, and not only because of the recent uh, corruption scandal. You know, uh, uh, so the power is very much in the hands of member states. And in a way, you have at this table, which decides about uh, Europe, 27 sovereignists. Some are uh, hard, some are soft, but they are all sovereignists. They are supposed to defend national interests, which means that, uh, um, uh, that the common good is being lost because decisions are the lowest common denominator, which, which is neither effective uh, nor uh, plausible in, in terms of legitimacy. I, I do take your point, and it may be that you know there was a high point of pooled sovereignty that, that is now being sort of uh, get receding into the distance, the distant past. But, you know, who knows? There may be another cycle. And at least Europe seems to have some answer to corporate power, doesn't it? It's, it seems more capable of facing down these monopolistic global corporations than any other political institution we've got. Exactly, because Europe, in reality, works very much like a network. 
Stefano Slaughter showed very well that, that uh, regardless of all formal arrangements, the EU very much acts like a network and therefore it's much more effective because it makes those deals with cities, regions, firms, you know, sometimes negotiating, sometimes playing power politics, you know, which actor could, could, could impose fines on Microsoft, yeah? The EU could. But actually, they, they, they work through soft laws rather than, than, than hard laws. They prefer exactly those informal arrangements and therefore they are in many cases successful. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't argue that we should transfer powers from nation states only to organizations like the European Union or the United Nations. I believe simply that the monopoly of nation states on on decisions and resources is not justified by the ability to contribute to public good. And this ability to contribute to public good is very much in the hands not just of transnational organizations, but also local ones, because there are issues which cities handle much better than states, EU or the United Nations. Think about migrations. Uh, states decide laws on migrations who can come in or not, but these migrants always end up in cities. And cities sometimes have to disobey even formal laws. I recently spoke to, to people in the Council of Amsterdam who told me, yeah, the government decided, no, no, we shouldn't provide housing for migrants because the Dutch should have priorities. But we cannot do this. Because if we would do this, these people would sleep on the street, there will be more criminality. So we have to simply manage things in a, in, in, in a practical way. And uh, uh, so, so what I want to say is that the idea that the ultimate power to decide what ought to be done is no longer reflecting the reality on the ground. Mm. But if you're saying that nation states uh, should lose some of their control over space and either go <clears throat> either going locally or going internationally, is there a parallel argument about time? Are you saying that, that there's, there's, there's a similarity between these two elements of politics you're discussing? Yes, of course, but, but they lost power. You know, the, the, the multinational firms basically decide what our work schedule is and not regulations of the state uh, about working hours or, or, or uh, free days of, of work. And this, this, this is all largely done by, uh, by multinational corporations, by chains of supermarkets or, or airplanes. Of course, they have to bargain with states, but but we know that at the end of the day, um, decisions uh, uh, are not being uh, effectively done by states in the traditional democratic way because they have no choice. It's, it's, each time they try to do it differently than the markets want, uh, uh, they're on the losing side. Okay, so nation states are losing control of time and space to some degree. Uh, and I wonder what you think the implications of that are. Is this something that is, you know, 
going to resolve our crisis of democracy or, or deepen it? If you believe that that um, that uh, the only way we can have democracy is uh, you know parliamentary representations within nation state, uh, uh, where um, democracy is responsible for citizens of the state and uh, and not for anything which happens outside the borders, uh, then. Of course, everything else is a, is a, is not a good thing. In fact, I just reviewed three books of very famous uh, uh, democracy experts like Cologne or Fukuyama or Stein, and they argue exactly this: we have to go back to traditional democracy. We we there is no need for democratic exper- experimentation. Of course, we, we have to to curb some excesses. But otherwise, you know, uh, we have a model. Well, but this model doesn't work in this unbounded environment with 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 the market uh, of instantaneous uh, communication and, and transactions. So we have to find a different way. And I, as students of Robert Dahl, who always argued democracy has to adjust to societal, uh, uh, political and technological changes. In Greece, in Athens, there was different type of democracy than we had in nation states, and and even the traditional form of democracy has changed over over years. Women didn't have a vote uh, in many countries till the Second World War later. Yeah, but I mean, if you're saying nation states uh, are, are not coping with the current um, environment, and and that pool sovereignty isn't working as a, as an answer to that. Where does this go? Some of my colleagues entertain apocalyptic visions, but but I call it. But the current situation, because I don't know what will happen tomorrow, but I know what we have now. We've got to to something I call absurdistan, where destruction comes gradually by default and largely in disguise. States are visibly still in charge, but they are failing to solve. Uh, domestic and international problem. Democracy is formally in place, but it, but it hardly generates any legitimacy for political leaders. If you look at statistics, how parliaments are popular in our countries, majority of people do not trust elected politicians. Stock markets are going up, and yet inequalities and poverty continue to grow. Po- populist politicians pretend to act as statesmen, and liberal politicians pretend to listen to the people. Employees pretend to offer decent pay, and employees pretend to work efficiently. International organizations engage in how many multi- multiplied projects and make one reassuring declaration after another. But what? Gas, climate change, migration, violent conflict, progress unabated. And citizens are increasingly cynical atomize, and unable to form a common front for anything constructive. This is not good. Yes, but uh, it sounds apocalyptic. Uh, You're saying some colleagues have an apocalyptic vision. I I thought you were going to tell me you don't, but it sounds like you do too. Well, I I don't think it's apocalyptic visions because, you see, uh, uh, 
maybe not in Britain, but <laughs> in most of other countries, trains still run. And you, and if you are in a, a you know in need of uh, urgent medical help, you can still arrive in the hospital and get this help. You know, uh, and and we go to work, and 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 if we don't have work, we get some unemployment benefit. So it is not like this that the world collapses around us. It collapses close to us. We see what happens in, in, in Ukraine. It, it, it certainly uh, doesn't generate much prospects in the south. Uh, because otherwise those people wouldn't move north constantly. So, and we are not doing anything about this. You know, take migration. I mean, what have we done in recent years? We have basically abandoned investments in, in, in North Africa, on Africa and, and, and Middle East. We have uh, um, made deals with local warlords to keep the migrants uh, uh, away from shores. We have constantly carp development aid. And then we are surprised that people are coming. In the meantime, we yeah, but- bombed some of those countries, and like Libya, and, 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 and left them in the hands of local warlords. And this is not just immoral. This is just stupid. These things will not go away. Okay, so what I'm what I'm trying to understand is the I guess the purpose of your book. So you've you, you said these interesting things about time and space as being a good way to look at politics and contemporary trends, and we can analyze it that way rather than more conventional ways, and it sort of helps you think about it in a different way. But is that the extent of your purpose or are you going further and saying if you look at it in this way through the prism of time and space it leads you to this conclusion you know conclusion x conclusion y well this means that it is not enough to do minor adjustments to our democracy to regain control of time and space for our for our citizens for for you and me and in fact, we have tried a lot of so-called institutional devices or tricks to improve the situation. It's not like this that we never realized uh, that there is a problem of time and space, right, in politics. Uh, uh, we tried to, as we talked just a second ago, to empower transnational institutions as you, but, but in fact, with your states, asserted their sovereignty in, in, in the EU. You know, with the COVID, what we have seen with the COVID, the first reaction was to close the borders between states. Although the, the borders which really counted were between those, like I'm speaking to you from Venice, near near Colli Eugeni, where Codonio was the epicenter of first the outbreak of COVID. And, you know, and what was necessary to not to close the border between Austria and or France and Italy, but to basically isolate this small city in the hills of Codonio, you know, and or to to stop people from Lombardy, where there was enormous COVID infections, 
to fly to the uh, uh, summer houses in Campania. The, the, the head of the province of Campania, where Naples is, Ischia and, and Capri, you know, he said, no, I'm going to ban those people from Lombardy. So the states try to impose the old logic of territorial controls, but it just didn't work. They let, later uh, uh, realized that, uh, that actually... Uh, local solutions to hospital and, and uh, uh, contagious are most important. And, and in fact, hospitals are in the hands of regional authorities. But they also realize that, that if you want to have effective vaccines, you cannot uh, you know, engage in, in competing nationalism. So, so you need the European Union to negotiate for, for, for the whole Europe uh, those vaccines. Otherwise, uh, it will be disaster. And then to get out of COVID, they realized they also need this recovery fund of the European Union, Italy benefiting tremendously from this, you know, to get out of, 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 of all the troubles caused by these pandemics. And I'm saying those things that, that we try those solutions uh, of, of, of reinforced nation states and they just prove uh, insufficient, futile. We tried. Right. So I, I, I think I've got it. I mean, I think what you're saying is that we need to you know, step back in the way that you have done, analyse what's going on in terms of very broad trends. And then that helps develop you know, quite pragmatic policies on a range of challenges as they arise. And we just don't need always to think of the nation state as the solution. And there may be local solutions, there may be more international solutions on a case by case basis. Yes, but we have to, 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 to change the paradigm. We have to uh, accept that the, the holy principle of national sovereignty, which uh, in a way and ironically uh, enjoys revival, renaissance, is not the best way to proceed. That, 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 that states should share powers with those informal networks at the local or transnational. And in fact, those states which are able to do it already are most effective. I, I, I'm a Dutch citizen, so I know that, that the Dutch government is, un, is not entertaining any decision without consulting so-called Randstad. Randstad is a area between Utrecht, Rotterdam and Amsterdam, and it is not even formal legal entity. There is not formal statistics about Randstad. But all Dutch politicians know that this is the engine of growth, innovation, and it's most important to work hand-in-hand hand with them, solving problems for the citizens. And so, so, so I see those states which adopt the logic of cooperation with NGOs, with cities, with the EU, with uh, global organizations, they're performing better. They're performing much better. And but some of other states now treat NGOs and, as enemies. You know, in Poland, NGOs campaigning for women rights we, uh, are treated as enemies. Uh, in Italy, those NGOs saving life on, on on the Mediterranean Sea are treated as enemies. This is absurd. It's been a very interesting conversation, largely because you've, you've managed to break out of a lot of the sort of conventions of uh, the way we analyse these things and look at it in a, in a very different way. So thank you very much indeed, Jan Jelonka. Thank you, Oven.